This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to another episode of Just a Tip, an advice podcast that's equally about its tangents as it is about its tips. I'm your host, Megan Batune, and today, from the comfort of our own homes, we have author and designer Maho Mafino here with us. Uh, I'm so very excited. You sent your book to me, and I was just mentioning that I can't wait to talk about every single page of it. So welcome. Um, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. I love your show. I love everything you're doing. Thank, I feel like we have a lot of similarities, especially from the very first page. So to get everyone on the same page, before we go into Mao's book called Break the Good Girl Myth, we'll talk about that a ton. But before, I want to get to know you a little bit more. So I've got a few questions to check in just to get down into, I feel like, the, the things that nobody really asks you or asks anybody. Okay, so number one. What is one meal that if you had it one bite right now, it would take you right back to your childhood? Oh, I used to eat dulce de leche <gasps> by the spoonful as a child. Nice. <laughs> like just that big heap of milky caramel, <laughs> like no shame. That would bring me right back. Yes, because you have a Latin background, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm Latinx. I'm originally from Argentina. And in Argentina, dulce de leche is like the delicacy, right? Yes. It's, it's, we put it in on our bread, we put it in our, uh, in our pastries, we put it everywhere. In our pancakes, like, it's just so yummy. It's like the paprika of any Latin countries, <laughs> like, that's the thing you use for everything. Exactly. We have, we have big sweet, sweet teeth in Argentina. <laughs> just all the teeth. All the teeth are sweet. All the teeth, <laughs> yes. Um, what was your worst job that you can remember? Uh, I would say it was working in a windowless basement at a university crunching neuroscience data. Whoa. I know it sounds really like cool and interesting, <laughs> but it sounds like a grown up spy kids. Like you sound very cool. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I was like, I think I needed sunshine and air, you know, <laughs> and I'm a really sensitive person. I'm a highly sensitive person. And so there's actually a term for that, HSP. And I think like the environment I work in really matters. And I just 
feel like the artificial light hovering over my head. It was, just, it just wasn't working. Yeah, that's so interesting. With lighting, I'm very similar in, in being a sensitive person, like as most empaths are. But I, 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 every time that there's lighting that's not quite right, if I'm having a really serious conversation, I will move. Like I remember trying to ask someone, I would define the relationship situation, but we were underground in a parking garage in Los Angeles and there's fluorescent lighting and it was awful, like casting shadows. Like we looked like Two-Face from Spider-Man, whatever the movie is, the, whatever superhero movie that has Two-Face in it. And I was like, we have to move. And I parked yeah. the car maybe like five spots over and I was like, now we can have this conversation. It's oh, my so husband. important. Totally. My husband, God bless his heart. Like when we walk into a restaurant, he like is thinking about what light is like glaring into my face. He's like, sit on the other side. Cause I literally will get tired if there's a bright light, like glaring in my eye. <laughs> Just tired. Have you always been, tired. Have you always been sensitive to everything? Like, or is that something that you've developed through breaking the good girl myth? I think the reason I became a good girl was because I was so sensitive, oh. right? Because, yeah, because when you're really sensitive, you want to control your environment and you want to control situations. And so perfect, I, I have a theory that perfectionism, like if you're someone who has grappled with perfectionism or finds that it's really hard to get your ideas out because you are afraid of making mistakes, like you're probably a sensitive person, um, and that, you know, that perfection is like a way that you can control the situation and feel like right. some power. I, mm -hmm. I, well, I'm so interested in this because I feel like when I, I want to start from the beginning almost. So in the first page of your book, you talk about being a good girl and like, uh, being a straight A student, a daughter of immigrants. And like, that is the, my exact same story too. So reading it was like, I feel like I was reading my journal and I wrote uh, like in, I was like write, reading and writing at the same time. And I wrote that uh, my obedience has gotten me where I am, but it's also kept me where I am. Because it's like, if when you're obedient and you grow up in a household that kind of breeds perfectionism and in this society, when we, we're kind of like given limitations. And if we say yes, okay, and we jump through the hoops that we were told to jump through and we do a good job, then we get rewarded. And so it's like with, with that reward system, then you start to only do things in order to make other people happy and then become a people pleaser. And it's interesting because I feel like all the things that I've done have gotten me in a good place. Like there are benefits to being obedient, but at the same time, you you whittle down who you are and water down who you are into just kind of a a person that isn't like making any waves, isn't being bold. It's just doing the right the right thing, quote unquote, and staying where you are. And I think that's very interesting to for a lot of people, probably. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, I talk about this in the myth of rules, the chapter on the myth of rules, the good girl myth of rules, which is that rules give so many benefits. Like, think about it. <clears throat> If you follow the rules, you're going to get approval. You're going to get connection. You might even get a sense of community, right? Because yes. communities have rules, right? Right. Um, if I follow the rules, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to gain safety and comfort. Oh, and if I follow the rules, guess what? I'm going to gain more convenience and more ease mm. because like the rules have spelled it out for me, right? Like I don't have to think of my own path. And so like, the benefits of following the rules are so great that I think that's why so many of us 
do it sub, even subconsciously. We don't realize we're doing it. But then we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost, right? Yes. And I don't think a lot of us think about that. And what you just said about, wow, obedience may be keeping me where I am. Yeah. So the cost is the upside, right? It's like all that potential, where could you be? You know, it's, it's what you could gain if you, if you broke the rules. Right. When you, first of all, when did you decide that you wanted to write this book? I decided I wanted to write this book about four or five years ago when I thought about like if I were to give one very concise message to women that I work with, uh, what would it be? And the message that came into my mind was something along the lines of stop being such a good girl. It was something like that. And I was like, okay, I don't know if that's the exact phrase, but that was like the essence of the message because I realized in speaking with clients, friends, podcast listeners, um, just so many different women from all walks of life across the world that there were these same patterns that came up again and again that were holding us back. And they were patterns we learned when we were young mm-hmm. and that we didn't actually unlearn as adults. And so they were kind of like patterns that followed us into adulthood and we didn't realize we were, we were, we were living them. And so that's when I developed the five good girl myths. And I was like, okay, I think I have an actual message, mm-hmm. a thesis, something that I want to actually, uh, that is book worthy and like feels weighty enough to become a 300 page book. Yeah. And so, and so I spent the last four years basically going through the process of writing the proposal, finding an agent, breaking into publishing as a first time author and offering this this book. Yeah. When you were gathering all the information and talking to a lot of people, seeing the commonalities in our limiting beliefs, what do you think the main, I guess like uh, the main hurdle, is it, is it following the rules? Is it being a good girl? Or is it like the unlearning that we have to do? Like, what is the main thing that I know I'm not trying to like put everyone into one thing because obviously we're all individuals, but I, I do think at least in, in our generation, we have a lot of people that have similarities in, in wanting to do unlearning. Um, and I don't think that that's been in previous generations. I think our, this generation is really in tune with self-awareness and trying to figure out life for themselves, regardless of however they were brought up. Um, so yeah, what do you think like the main thing, the main piece that you think if like it was just tweaked enough or just worked on enough, then everything could be a little bit better for the future. What a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're like getting to the, like, you're getting to the core of it. And I think it's, it's such a great question. It's really about, okay, we're, all of us are born into a society. I think it's like, we have to remember that we're born into a culture. We're born into a society that we did not choose. Mm-hmm. We inherit it. We inherit our parents. We inherit the, the city we live in. We inherit the, all the things that we come into when we're born. And so as a result, we develop like different kinds of defense mechanisms and like coping strategies to deal with that. And so that's, in essence, that's what I'm seeing as the problem because what gets covered up is who you really are mm-hmm. and who who you really want to be. Um, if you weren't following the beat of the drum of the society you were born into. So for a lot of women, because my expertise is working with women, girls and women, it's like, oh man, we're born into a world where like, we're told from the beginning, like 
boys and men are kind of number one. You know, they're giving more attention, they're giving more resources, they're giving more praise in different ways. And so we kind of developed this like good girl protective mechanism to help us survive, assimilate, and cope with that reality. But who are we really underneath that? Mm -hmm. uh, who are we really when we're being authentic, when we're being creative, when we're um, letting go, when we're improvising, when we're not trying to be good by the standards we've inherited. Right. So that's like, that's the main problem that I think we need to like get. We need to peel back those layers. Right. When you're talking about perfectionism, um, what, I'm, have you ever defended perfectionism? I think in the book you have like, um, in the very beginning, you lay out the, the myths and then towards the end of the book, they come back, but in another way. I remember I was like journaling about perfectionism a couple years ago and making a case for it and defending it and being like, this is, this is the reason my, why I stand behind all my work because it's not going to go out until I think it's perfect. And at the same time, I was like, it's like a, inherent quality control at some point, but then at another, on the same hand, uh, it, it is detrimental because if nothing is perfect in your mind, then it doesn't go out. Have you mm -hmm. ever, obviously you've dealt with perfectionism, you write about it, but like, what is the, the key thing that you've learned in dealing with perfectionism to either break it or change your mindset on it? Yeah, I love what you said about it being good in some cases. Like, I think I think about this for all the five good girl myths I outline in the book. In certain contexts, they're good. Like, there are certain moments that you want sacrifice. There are certain situations where you want to be harmonious. The question is, is are you choosing it mm. or are you defaulting into it? Sure. Oh, that's very vital. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the issue. So are you choosing it, consciously choosing it? Like, in this moment, I'm going to be a craftsman and really be about excellence. So I'm gonna take my time and perfect this before I put it out there. That's like a conscious choice versus I'm delaying my creative dream for weeks, months, if not years, because I'm afraid of making a mistake and I'm afraid of looking stupid and I'm afraid of failure. That's like a subconscious programming, mm -hmm. right? That we, we picked up in our earlier years that we need to like, we need to unlearn. So, so there are some cases where perfectionism does make sense, but for most of us, we don't realize it's running the show. So if you're someone who's listening and you're someone who uh, has a creative idea or dream, you want to start your own podcast, you want to become a comedian, you want to be um, an artist, a writer, whatever it is, and you haven't started, it's because of the myth of perfection. Mm. And it's, it's because you haven't looked at how uh, you are afraid, the fear underneath it, of, uh, of being messy. Because in the early stage of everything, you have to be messy. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I've, it's so interesting, sometimes I wouldn't, pick up a hobby because I didn't want to be bad at it at first. But there's no, I mean, there's beginner's luck and there's being a natural, but most of the time it's, you got to put in the hours into doing anything. And it's just, it's so interesting that that keeps people, me included at some points, away from trying something new because we don't want to be bad at it. 
But it's, yes. It's, it's, As, um, yes. Yes. You have to, I tell my clients who work with me, whether it's one-on-one or in groups, I'm like, please let yourself be like messy, ugly, like make mistakes, like be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Allow yourself to be mortified because if you can stay in that space, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, you're going to come out the other side. If you can't, if you can't tolerate the discomfort of that, you're not going to be able to actually begin. And that's, that's rough when people spend their whole lives and they don't begin. That's, that's rough. Yeah. I think it's it, anything, it's the difference between reading something and practicing it. It's like if you, you could read an entire book on how to be a heart surgeon, but until you work on a heart, you don't know anything about heart surgery. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not words that teach, it's experience that teaches. And I think it's like you just have to throw yourself into it. So yeah, if you, if you are listening and thinking about doing something, I, I have a couple friends that are like, I want to be a writer and I want to be a whatever it is. And they haven't taken the first step. It's such mm-hmm. a heartbreaking thing because they could very well do a, be amazing at it. But it's just the fear of failure that keeps people from even taking the first step. But failure is just feedback. Failure is just more information to go. That didn't work in the way that it in the way that it played out. Let me tweak a few things. And I think a fun concept. I was at a seminar one time and the instructor was talking about a friend of his that is a plastic surgeon. And he was mm-hmm. saying that a lot of people come in and they want to change their entire face. And he, he has like a very hard and fast rule of you're not allowed to change something more than two millimeters. Usually people want like an entirely different nose or like whatever it may be. And he will not operate on them if they want something vastly different because he's saying usually all people really not even need, no one needs plastic surgery, but all that like really is um, going to be, I don't know, the, the perfect match for them or whatnot is two millimeters of a difference. And mm. with just like, the tiniest tweak, you can garner the biggest results in the, in the most beautiful and natural way possible. And I think that when people go through a self-discovery journey, it's like, oh, we need to go t- cold turkey on everything or even like trying to be vegan for a little bit. It's like, I'm mm-hmm. going to cut out every single thing. And it's like, <laughs> you don't need to do that. Just stop eating meat on Mondays. That's a good start. Yes. Or like, yes. you know, just get a different like dairy alternative milk. Like it's something very simple, but just a tiny change, even in a mindset switch. You don't have to become Buddha overnight, but just like wake mm-hmm. up and be grateful for one thing. That's a two millimeter change that can be the impetus or the catalyst for a, a wonderful future. So like the I love that small change. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so on board with that because we learned this in behavior design, which is motivation moves in waves. So you'll get a motivation spike and you'll say, I want to move to Africa or I want to go vegan for the rest of my life. But that's not sustainable mm-hmm. because the motivation wave will dip. So what is sustainable are small changes over a period of time, like what you just described. Um committing to uh, what I call in the myth of perfection in the book, prototyping, like prototype an idea, prototype a direction before committing to it fully. Because if you commit to something crazy and then you either don't do it fully or you fail, you're going to feel bad about yourself, right? So instead, break it down. What's the smallest, dinkiest version of the idea (laughs) you can put out there? Yeah. And iterate on that slowly and build creative confidence and build forward from there. That's, I think that, that is a much wiser approach. 
I agree. I think making really small promises to yourself is is key because if you do, if you commit to something large and you fail, you're going to say a bunch of negative internal dialogue to yourself. And I think if you do smart with it, start with a dinky version, the easiest thing, like if you, again, if you want to go vegan, just go, I'm, I'm going to drink almond milk today. And it's like, if you just do that, instead of going vegan the whole year, then it's like, Oh, I, I trust myself. I'm building a relationship with my confidence and with myself and with my word. Cause at the very end of everything, it's like, we, we are our word. And that's the most important relationship is with yourself. Yeah, you're having follow through and you're beginning to trust yourself uh, with the follow through. I think that's so important. Yeah, it's it's behavior design is fascinating and it's like it's it's a whole uh, it's a whole world. And it's something that I really talk about in the book, you know, how to borrow the best from design thinking and behavior change to really break these good girl myths. And I think that's such a concrete example of the way to break the myth of perfection is to start small, prototype, break things down, iterate, and grow confidence from there. Absolutely. I love the term behavior design. Like as a an interior designer, I, it's, I'm so <laughs> visually, you know, particular. Yeah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But behavior design is so interesting and I've never heard of it before. When is the first time that you ever heard of behavior design and what got you into it? Yeah. So I I love behavior. I've always been like a habit nerd. Like I'm trying to understand, like, how do you develop habits? How do you sustain them? You know, I'm a big fan of like Gretchen Rubin. I read all her books. I interviewed her on my podcast, but I, uh, I, I ended up Going to school, um, I studied at the Stanford Design School, and there was a professor there, B.J. Fogg, and he was he wrote Tiny Habits, like a New York Times bestseller, and he was all about this this field. He coined it. He he didn't coin the field, but he's a pioneer in it. It's behavior design, which is how do we design the behaviors in our lives? And he had this whole model, which is so fascinating, and I I really encourage everyone to check out around motivation, ability, and trigger. So it's like a whole thing of like, 
every behavior can be broken down into how motivated are you to do it? Um, what's your ability to do it? How easy is it for you to do it? And is there a hot trigger? Is there something triggering you to do it? Mm. So all behavior can be broken down into those three things. And so um, sometimes our motivation is very high, but our ability is very low and there's no trigger. And mm. so behaviors don't happen. Sometimes the trigger is really hot, but our motivation is low. The behavior won't happen. So it's a really interesting way of looking at this is very um you know, getting a little bit intellectual, but but it's 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 truly fascinating in in working with women on you know designing their lifestyles and what kinds of what kind of we a wellness and health do they want? What kind of um, and also what kind of deep work do they want to do in the world? Like for for being a writer, the only way I was able to write this book, not the only way, but I I credit the ability to write this book to understanding behavior design, because I understood, oh, my motivation's really low today. I'm going to write one paragraph. Because mm -hmm. if your motivation's low, you make it easier to do. Yes. Um, yeah. If your motivation's high, you can make the behavior a little harder. You can amp it. You can turn it up. And so um, it's like a, it's, it's a way to sort of experiment on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I touch on it more in the myth of sacrifice for women who have trouble taking, uh, taking time for themselves, mm -hmm. how to design a ritual. And a lot of that is based in behavior design. That's so, so fascinating there. I love that there's a three part system and they all have to be in alignment for you to act upon something. I think mm -hmm. that it's like the, the sweet spot of anything is like, if all those three match up, then you have uh, results. And I think uh, there's something, I don't know what the term is, but basically when you're in creative flow, it's when you're being challenged and you're able to succeed at like a, a very stable, but inclining increment where you, you are challenged, but you feel like you're gaining some sort of experience or you're getting somewhere with it. So it starts to become fun. I, I think that it's really important to be honest with yourself. What I'm hearing from you is if you have a low motivation day, make the goal small so that you can achieve it and feel good and, and it will fluctuate. I think that's the mm -hmm. important takeaway here is like some days you're not going to wake up super happy. Some days you're going to wake up and you're singing, you know, to the top of your lungs in a shower. And it's really about listening to your body and understanding where you're at that day and mm -hmm. tailoring your experience in your day to what is on the table. I wrote something in my journal a couple years ago, I think. Um, it was like kind of a poem and it, it was called Mood Du Jour. And it's like, whatever you get, like the mood of the day is whatever is on the table and you either have to eat it or you'll starve. But like, it's, that's what's on the menu. You can't, there's no substitutions. Mm. You just have, mm. you just get what you get and, yes. and deal with it and accept it and work with it. I mean, there's like modalities that you can do to, you know, shift your perspective. But at the end of the day and the beginning of the day and the whole day, you have, you wake up as you wake up and it's up to you to decide how you want to go about it. And I think it's so smart for you to list that, if your motivation is low, set yourself adjust. up for success. Adjust. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it gets even more exciting, I think, especially since you're an interior designer, because of the trigger part of the equation, you get to design your environment mm. to help you. Yes. To help you. Yes. Right? Yes. So like, oh, I want to start yoga. Let me leave my yoga mat out so I can visually, it'll trigger me to start the practice, right? Or like, I want to... Uh, 
rewire as a belief that I have. Let me put the post-it note by my bathroom mirror so it triggers me to say that to myself, right? These visual triggers you can put in your environment. Why is that important? Because you, like you mentioned, motivation goes up and down, so we cannot depend on willpower. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us uh, beat ourselves up and we think we're not disciplined enough or we don't have enough willpower. When the truth is, like the real question is, is what's our motivation? What's our ability? And were there triggers? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's the more interesting thing. Uh, when we ask ourselves, oh, th- where am I in this equation? Then you can say, okay, that's what's really happening. It's not, it has nothing to do with discipline and whim- willpower. And that's a core idea in behavior design. And I weave that in in uh, the book in that there are, it's one of the mindsets. I call it uh, setting yourself up for success. That's designing your environment to support whatever change you want. And in the myth of sacrifice, particularly, it's really uh, setting up your space so that you do those self-care rituals that are going to fill your cup up and that are going to be going to allow you to give to others instead of be a martyr. And, you know, through the programming that we get as women, you know, putting our, putting other people before ourselves. It's just, it's it's not sustainable. Right. I love that you call them myths too, because it is not fact, but I feel like in the world that we grew up in, everything seems like it is set in stone. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just think that it's so important to do this work in just going inside and just like journaling your feelings and understanding that like, just like write out your entire life, basically. If you've never done work before, if you're, if you're listening and you've never done any sort of intuitive work at all, just like listing out what, what your environment was when you grew up and like stories that you may have told yourself because of, of these things. Because I feel like when I was younger and I don't have all the information and I get feedback from my parents and I'm thinking, oh, I'm not worth it because I didn't get this toy. And so I grow up thinking I'm not worth it. And then it shows up in how I'm, I'm showing up to other people. And it's like, people can sense that I can sense that in, I believe it because it's a thought that's thought upon long enough to become an inherited belief. I think it's fact, but I, all that to say, mm-hmm. I love that you call them myths because that's exactly what they are. It is not fact. It's not fact. And it, it's a myth is a story, a story we believe, a story we are born into, a story we inherit, a story we get to rewrite. Yes. That's what a myth is. <laughs> it's so nice to, to know that we can rewrite it. And that's what's exciting about the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was talking mm-hmm. to somebody uh, t- t- this morning, actually, and I was talking about um, my relationship with my dad when I was younger, and he had said, um, I saw, whatever your childhood was, it doesn't, just because your childhood was the way it was doesn't mean your future has to be the same. And it was so beautifully said he was talking about something like not deep at all and I it like hit me and I was like oh my gosh I feel like I need to go cry because that's so beautiful like you can you can always rewrite your childhood you can always rewrite 2020 you can rewrite this morning I remember dating a guy once and we would get in an argument 
almost every day. And then he would say, uh, like towards the middle of the day, he was like, let me know when you want to restart this day and we can have a Mm. great day. And it's like, oh, you're right. Like we can do that at any time. We can just change if we want. Um, our mindset, our, Mm. our day, we can just hit a quick restart. And how beautiful is that? Mm. Like, I feel like when, when people have a bad day, we start ruminating on that. And the more that Mm -hmm. we focus on that, the more we're inviting it by the law of Mm -hmm. attraction alone. It's like we put all of our energy into something and then it's basically us ordering from the universe, another serving of it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, why, why do I want this rotten cold food? (laughs) Totally. I love that because every moment is so fresh and so new and every moment there's a choice and every moment there's a choice to, to, to take a different path. You know, in, in my, in the chapter on the, the myth of harmony, a lot of the, my clients and the examples I give there, a lot of the women were feeling trapped, mm. you know, like I don't have that much choice. Like I have to, I basically been served this job and I got to stay here. I basically been served this relationship. I got to stay here. And, um, it's almost like I can't entertain the alternative. The alternative of the unknown is too scary. So I'm going to be in this like familiar, comfortable place and avoid that difficult conversation I need to have. Right. And one of the things I offer is like the choice meditation, right. Which is being, you know, uh, there are five meditations um, that you can get access to through the book. And one of them is the choice meditation, because I really felt strongly that, As women, we need to understand that in every single moment, in every day of our life, we chose to be here. Mm. We chose to be here. And and that's important because then when you see that you chose to be here and you chose to be in this job, you chose this career, you chose this relationship, you could choose something else. Yes, you can choose something else. And that's like a cognitive shift because it's often so much easier to kind of feel like, no, this is just the way it is. And, and really to say, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to see that I'm at a crossroads in every single moment. And, 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 you know, it's funny, I just turned 34 and I was looking at <laughs> when I turned 25, I had written like 25 pieces of wisdom that like a little less, I was looking back at it. Cause it's almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them was, you know, happiness is a choice and it's, it's almost a cliche, but it's, it, I really still feel it's true. I would add in, in every moment, happiness is a choice in every moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be like the addition for like from mm-hmm. 25 to 34. That's like the edit. <laughs> I, that's a little edit. Yeah. I completely agree. There is, um, I have this tiny little tattoo. Uh, it's a little H on my wrist and it's, inspired by a Brene Brown book saying like, speaking of choice is every, everything that happens to you, you can either, uh, react from a hurt place or from your heart place. And I think that's so interesting that like, even in moments of, um, like knee jerk reactions when something happens to us and we're like, I've always acted this way. So this is just how it's going to go because it's second nature. But like that second nature could be coming from being hurt or from a shame or a guilt or any, any version of like a non-positive, non-happy place. That's just so easy to get to. It's like so easily accessible. So I've had to, I put it on my wrist so that like in any situation I can go, 
I can respond to this from hurt or from heart, which one is it going to be? And I think it goes perfectly with happiness as a choice in every moment because every single thing that happens to you, you have an option. It's like, um, have you ever played The Sims? No. Oh, The Sims is like a, a long, in the 90s, I played this game, The Sims, and it's basically a simulated version of life. But like when people come up to you or when you go to do anything, you, you click on, you right click, and then it has four different options of things to do. Like if you go up to a person, it's like uh, hug them, shake their hands, tell them a joke or smack them. Like you always have choices <laughs> in, in, I love that. in anything that you walk up to or do. And it's, I think it's, if you think about your entire day like that, I think it gets so much more fun because mm-hmm. you can always choose to do something different. Also, you can do something positive. You can do something different. And I think another exciting mental game I like to play is whenever I'm just walking out, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen today, but everything that happens is going to be a gift in some way or another. And it just, it mm-hmm. opens your eyes in a, such a positive light and you're, you're wide eyed and walking down the street. Like, when is the gift going to happen? And then you start to, you start to like be in moments and being like, is this the gift? I think this is the (laughs) gift. And then it makes everything so beautiful. I adore that so much. (laughs) The, the everyday is a gift or everything is a gift. Um, that's really amazing. I, I recently got really into positivity (laughs) <laughs> for a long, for a long period yeah, of my I'm, life, I, <laughs> for a long period of my ta- life, life, yeah, I was kind of like being positive. Like I wasn't so sure about it, you know, like, <laughs> like I was, I was, I was, I was a little skeptical, you know, like, oh, I don't know, yeah. like really positive people. Like, are they, maybe they're a little stupid. Maybe they have like some, you know, I was always like a little ju- judgmental towards like extremely positive humans. Me too. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, earlier this year I, I started I did a prototype, speaking of prototypes and behavior design of, I would do a a week long experiment where I would say, and I would do my best to say, think, and think only positive things. I would do my best. Obviously, you know, it's, you can't do it a hundred percent of the time, but at least I would, if I was maybe doing it 30% of the time for a week, I would boost it up to like 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. It was amazing. The, the week long experiment, (laughs) because um, every, what you just said about the hurt and heart place, I noticed that about every instant. Like I was walking down a street uh, in Venice and this four by four, a woman in a four by four, like almost ran me over. And in that moment, I was like, I was at a crossroads of me being like, I can just be like, fuck you. Yeah. Or I can be like, I'm so, because I was like, oh no, it's positivity week. I can't do that. <laughs> um, so, so let me, let me choose the other one. Let's just try it on, try see it. how it feels. Yeah, try we, it on. we audition it. I was like, that's so cool. She's in a four by four. Like, I was like, I literally was like, that's really cool that she's in four by four. She's like elevated above the ground. Like, I was just trying to find like what was cool about her situation. Yes. Uh, and, and what was amazing was I, the, the feeling of my body. It was like, oh. It's like I transmuted it, um, and I was it wasn't I, w- I wasn't in an angry tight place. I was in a like oh cool curious like empathizing place, and and I went on and it was like wow. And I did that for like in a week, and I got so much energy. Yes, um, I I was I was extremely energized, and and it made me think like maybe I'm tired <laughs> because I'm negative. You know, That's- sometimes I'm negative. You know, right and. 
And that drains the system. Absolutely. I, it really like mutes and dulls your insides. I feel like on a molecular level, it's like putting strain and it desaturates everything. Because yeah. I've been in the same exact situation and I remember being in the car with my with a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, and someone cut us off. And it was a very similar situation of, I think she was like, what the hell? But I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, f- I hope that they feel better than they do right now because they like flicked me off or something or maybe mm-hmm. I, I something happened, a miscommunication on the road. And I was like, I hope they can have a better day than how they are feeling right now. Or like, I, I hope I, I give the best energy to them in, without trying to sound too woo woo. But like, I really I hope the best for them um, and how sad like I, I have compassion. And that's yes. another thing that like. I wrote down some after like a therapy session because I thought it was so nice of like my therapist was like anytime because I I used to compare myself all the time and still have like bouts of it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But she said, anytime that you're comparing yourself, uh, replace comparing with compassion, either for yourself or for the other person or whoever it may be. And it changes everything. And as you were saying, it makes you feel different. When I said, I hope that person is having a better time than they are right now. Or when I have compassion for myself, if I'm comparing myself to someone who's smarter or prettier or funnier or whatever it may be, it makes my body feel less tense. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I have a better posture. It makes me feel healthier. It just is a better a better state that I only want to be in. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like attracts such the, the best of life. Like it really does. Totally. I think compassion is the antidote to comparison completely. Yeah. Especially self-compassion. And it's such a big part of, I think I dedicate a good chunk of it <laughs> under the myth of perfection. I'm like, if you're high on the myth of perfection, which that's my primary good girl myth, Compassion is your medicine. Like, yes. That's the thing that you need, you know. Um, it's really going to support you. in, And it, it really has. It has changed my life. Like having self-compassion has changed my life. Uh, it's been one of the most profound practices for sure. Yeah. What did you, when you first started trying to have compassion, because it's not easy, what, ha- what was the most helpful thing in order to get yourself in a compassionate place for yourself? Yeah, so... It, it, there's there there are a few different ways uh, to come into self compassion. One very easy step is to touch yourself. <laughs> it sounds weird, <laughs> but it sounds like kind of like cheesy and strange to give yourself a hug because you're like, does this really work? Mm-hmm. Because your mind will will your mind will say like. Uh, your mind will judge it and say like, am I really giving myself a hug? Cause I heard this on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> Just a tip. And, and your mind will judge yourself for it, but your body doesn't judge. Your body's going to have the oxytocin release. And so, so it's kind of this thing where it works on a physical level, even if your ego doesn't like it. Yes. So, so give yourself a nice little hug or a stroke of the arm and just say something nice. To, like what I like to say is, I, you know, call myself dear or, you know, something tender. Yeah. You know, use a tender word. And, and that it just puts me, it just shifts my, uh, my, my tendency of harshness mm-hmm. towards softness. And, and, and just taking the edge off the harsh uh, really, really helps me. Yeah. And, and, and it's something that I've invited so many of my clients to do when they're caught in comparison. And 
And the other thing that I've started doing too with comparison, which is thinking more like a behavior designer, take it or leave it, is don't put yourself in environments where you're going to be, where comparison's gonna really be triggered. This is my opinion, take it or leave. Some people say like, oh no, you should still go into those environments and then deal with it, do your internal work so you manage your comparison stuff. And that's one approach, but I also just don't like to, I've, I've stopped, one of the things I've done is I've stopped looking around myself so much and looking at what other people are doing mm. and really focused on what am, what am I doing? And I've just stopped the sort of wandering eye of like, oh, but that person over there and that person over there. And I've really tried to funnel my attention in towards what, it, well, what am I focusing on? What's my work? And that's really helped me a lot. I love that. It's like the alternative sounds like exposure therapy of like, just put yourself in, in it and like baptism by fire, deal with it. But I, for me as well, I think your version of doing it, of just focusing on you is, is what I would, I would do too. I think like paying attention to my body and like my little bubble of energy, because you can, you can protect your energy. I, I was like working on a set um, a couple months ago and there's so many other people dealing with their other stuff and it's a, a harsh environment because everyone is like high strung there's a lot of money on the line a lot of stakes and so I said to myself I like set some intentions in the in the beginning of the day and I was like I, I did a meditation and I said today my intention is to protect the energy that I have right now like I want to feel this way for the entire day and it was so Fascinating that it was on that day where like a huge shit storm from like my castmates came. Not about me, but I was like in the splash zone of like they had stuff going on and I was close enough to them to get wet like the first, I'm making like a SeaWorld reference, but if you've ever been to SeaWorld, if you, st if you sit in like the first five to 10 rows, if Shamu does a big flip, then all <laughs> of the water gets on you. And like there's yes. they, like, it's the blocked off. So I call it the splash zone. And a lot of times people are dealing with their own shit and it just, it splashes on you because you're close enough. It's not about you. Um, and that's a, a lesson that I've learned very recently, time and time again, is the way that people are coming off to you is hardly ever about you. Mm -hmm, it's like, it's mm -hmm. what they're dealing with and it's projecting onto you because you're in the splash zone. It would have happened to anybody. It's not because you are the way you are. It's not because of your insecurity. It's not because of the way that you think. It has nothing to do with you majority of the time, but you just got splashed on. But in that moment where I was in the splash zone, I protected my energy, like almost like a force field. And I was like, I made a promise to myself that nothing could penetrate this. And when I started mm. to become splashed on, I just said, oh, that's not for me. And I, I think it physically walked away. And I was mm -hmm. so proud of myself for that. And so speaking of being proud of yourself, I will say a tip. We've like given so much insight, but like here's a, a practical tip that I feel like everyone should do every day, at least once a day, um, is you've probably heard about people like saying what they're grateful for, like in the morning or night or whatever, just affirmations. But something that someone told me that I really think helped is after saying what you're grateful for is to write something that you're proud of yourself for mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. day. Because I think that change, that just adds another level. Like gratefulness mm -hmm. and gratitude, absolutely. I will like raise the roof. I'm 12 in 1990. <laughs> raise the roof for that. But like 
the the being proud of yourself piece, I think we need to do that so much more because with mm-hmm. all of the self-talk, which we got to be careful about that too, um, just to be proud of yourself. It's like, it's basically like the same thing you're saying of like physically stroking yourself, calling yourself dear. It's, mm-hmm. it's another version of taking care of yourself like that. Mm-hmm. Like speak mm-hmm. to yourself mm-hmm. like you would speak to a person that you love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're describing is like a, it's, it's a nuance on gratitude. It's self-appreciation, mm-hmm. self-celebration. Yes. And that, that's, that's huge. I think celebrating your wins, you know, what was your little win that day? What do you feel good about? I think that, that, uh, positivity begets positivity. So it's like you do that one day, the next morning, you're going to wake up a little bit more positive and then that's going to make you feel positive, more positive in the evening and you're going to wake up the next day. So it's going to be an upward spiral, right? If you have these practices mm-hmm. like gratitude and self-appreciation, they're, they're, they're very proud. They're, they're ex- examples of small, powerful, compounding yeah. uh, <laughs> practices. So um, I'm a big fan of that. And then in terms of the other anecdote you said about the splash zone, uh, you know, for me, that's just like such a great anecdote and example of, of having emotional boundaries. Mm. And I think for a lot of us who did grow up, you know, wanting to be good or wanting to be there for our friends and be a good friend, be a good person, be a good whatever role that fill in the blank role as a, you know, good mother, good sister, good whatever. Sometimes we, we don't realize that the emotional boundaries get loose, right? Mm-hmm. And other people's problems become our problems. Other people's feelings become our feelings. And so other people's dramas become our dramas. And so what you described of having that emotional boundary is, is so key in, in taking back our power as, as humans, as, as women specifically in my work and as humans more broadly. Yeah, we talk about, we're talking beautiful stuff about positivity, but it's not always been like this on my end. And I know that right. you mentioned that you you got into positivity a, a year or so ago, um, but what was it like before? Like, did you go through a, a period of time that was a little bit darker to inspire you to look towards positivity? Or what was what was the, um, the switch over? Uh, the, the switch over into positivity was, was funny. Because, you know, in, in, in the... In the book, in chapter three, I have a whole assessment. You can find out what your primary good girl myth is. Mine is perfection, but I score very low on harmony. Mm. (laughs) And so I've always been a a low harmony woman. Like I'm not someone who's like, I'm I'm okay with getting into fights. I'm okay with like darker emotions, like um, anger and um, negativity like that. Those things don't, don't scare me away. I'm a Scorpio, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and so, um, I started to notice that maybe I was over, maybe I was over, I needed some balance there, you know, and my husband would come back from his surf sessions and he would have so much stoke, that's a <laughs> California, and he just had this big smile on his face. And one day he just asked me like, yeah, love, like what gives you stoke? No. <laughs> and I just had a moment where I had to think about it. And I was like, what gives me stoke? And I started journaling about it. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and as I journaled about it, I was like, not very much gives me stoke. And I was like, well, why is that? <laughs> why is that? Oh, I'm not allowing it to give me stoke. Well, how come? And then as I dug, it's like, well, because I don't like, I don't like the feeling of stoke. Well, how come? Because I'm really attached to being sort of dark and moody and cool and, and like, you know, 
not harmonious, you know, like I was, there was an attachment there. And so that's what created that flip. But to answer your question more directly throughout my life, yeah, I've had dark moments. I've had dark moments of like existential crises of, you know, being, being, asking myself, like, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Like, why am I in this dead end job? Like what legacy am I going to leave behind? Like these big questions, you know? Um, and it wasn't only until, uh, I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of inner work that I was able to arrive to the work that I do today. Uh, but it, it was definitely a process. What would you say to people that are also feeling some of those existential questions? Like, what is my purpose? Like, what is the, if you could give one tip on either how to find your purpose or, uh, or even starting, starting the work, like what would be the one piece of advice you could give? I like to tell people, you do not discover your purpose, you design it. Ooh. Yeah. And that's a a big tip that I just give everyone, like get, there's a lot of stuff around like discover your purpose and like find your passion. And I'm, I'm a fan of that kind of language, but I'm also like a little wary of it uh, in the sense that the danger of that kind of phrasing could be that we might go into a passive state where we're kind of waiting mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, discovery, like to be hit by a lightning bolt or to get this like aha or like get a dream when like sleep, go to bed one night, get this dream that's going to reveal everything. Like it's a little bit too reliant on revelation. And I'm a big fan of like activation, like really designing your purpose through throwing things at the wall, prototyping, trying a lot of different things, engaging with people, engaging with the world, uh, getting your hands dirty, like being active. And so um, that would be my tip. You design your purpose. Yes. I love that so much. There's a difference between, uh, I mean, like here in Los Angeles, everyone is auditioning to be an actor, a dancer, a singer, or whatever it is. And we're at the we're at the feet of other people to give us jobs. And I think that's the difference of like creating your reality and waiting for others to give you opportunity. And I think that's the biggest thing, like in my experience, I stopped going to dance auditions because I wasn't tall enough, skinny enough, good dancer enough or blonde enough at the time, like whatever it may be. But it's like, you are only looking at me to put me behind Justin Bieber on stage. Like I have, I have so much more to offer, but you would never know that. So let me create this on my own and then starting a YouTube channel. And so it goes back like full circle to one of the first things we talked about is like, just go, just do it. Just take one small step into the direction of your dreams is like, as most, this sounds like a Pinterest quote, but like, actually, what do you want? What is the first step that you can take? Whether it is putting the yoga mat right outside of your bed so that when you wake up, it's the first thing that you see. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you, whatever you're thinking right now of what you want to do, when you get home, make one little tiny change. I think a a visual change would be really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And just, Mm -hmm. and just see I think that's so interesting to you mentioned doing little experiments like the positivity week. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I do the same. I think experiments are so fun. And it's like, I think that's, I've never been like, this is the purpose of life. But I, I think that like, that's one of them is just experimenting with what this life is because mm-hmm. it is vast. It is abundant. You can do really anything. 
Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes we forget that because we get caught up in going to our job or p- paying our bills or getting in a fight with whoever. But it's like every single moment is a gift. Every single moment is a choice. And you can do anything. You really can. Amen. Mic drop. Yeah, right? Like, ah. Uh, and, and the thing is like, it's so funny if, if I were to listen to me say this, like my like five years ago self, I would be like, I this m- doesn't register for me. But like, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. If you're listening to this and you're like, I, I don't believe you, under- I understand that like this doesn't seem feasible, but like, believe me when I tell you it is possible. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being in tears like, three weeks ago because I like started to feel things I've never felt in my life before because of like the power of positive thinking and for doing the work, whether it's journaling, meditation, visual visualization, therapy, all of these things, gratitude lists, being proud of Mm -hmm. myself. It's, it is so important to take care of you. And it, it, it's so weird that like the, the older I get, the more I realize how all cliches are generally right. (laughs) Like there's a reason (laughs) Why they're right. Why we have them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And and I would just add, I mean, I, w- I could just totally mic drop it right there because you just <laughs> said everything we needed to. The only thing I would add is in doing so much inner work uh, myself in self, the self-discovery work must be complemented with action. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And, like, and, and that's mic drop the piece that, that like... <laughs> Yeah. And I think like with a lot of the positive thinking and manifestation language, I'm like, yes. And let's not let it stop there. Mm. Let's do the life experiments. Yes. Let's do the behavior design life experiments. Yes. Which I love. I'm going to look up so much about behavior design, but if, if other people haven't heard about it, because this is the first time that I'm hearing about it and I'm like enamored with the concept. Um, how, what are a few tips that you would give to, to have someone understand you write about it in your book? Is there any more key nuggets that you think are really helpful in behavior design? Sure. So I would definitely go check out, uh, the work of BJ Fogg and his book, Tiny Habits. Uh, if you want a basic fundamental understanding of behavior design, he is the person to, to, to go to. Um, and, and, and I would just look at the model, the, the MAT model, motivation, ability, trigger, and really get to know it. And you could break it down. Think about a behavior you want to start. Ask yourself how high plot it on a graph from low motivation to high motivation. Where am I on the spectrum from low ability to high ability? Where am I? From triggers, like I have a, no trigger to I have a really good trigger, where am I? That's going to help you understand um, how you can actually make this behavior possible and whether you can. So I would say get to know that the MAT model of behavior design. It's like the 101, you know, it's the, it's the if, you can get, if you can wrap your head around this model and learn to live it, it, it it's going to help so much with ha- you developing habits. I love that. I, I'm so excited. I geek out on emotions and like how our brain works. Like the psychology and the emotional psychology is my favorite thing ever. The, like I could talk about this forever, but <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we are almost at the very end, but I, I want to ask you a little bit more about your book. Is there anything that 
I like you definitely want people to know everyone definitely listening should take get a copy of it because I, I love the the way that you break things down and I think it's it hits really close to home with the perfectionism and with like the the people pleasing all straight A's the entire thing so like I love it because it strikes a personal chord um mm-hmm. is there anything that you in the book that you want to highlight even more or that like didn't make it in the book or anything that's like mm. insider scoopy. <laughs> mm, insider scoopy that didn't make it in the book. Well, you know how it, I said that you can discover, so there's an assessment where you can discover your like good girl formula, your, your primary, secondary uh, myths. And I think that's really cool to do with a friend or, or, a, a sibling or someone in your family because, you know, a mother-daughter pairings, because then you can like talk about what your primary good girl myths are yeah, and have a conversation around like, oh, well, my primary good girl myth is perfection, but yours is harmony. Like what's going on there and how has that affected our relationship? Mm. It's been really... Yeah, there's been a, like there was I've been doing this in workshops, which has been really, really like enlivening. But I didn't I didn't include it in the book. I had a whole chapter around sisterhood that we actually uh, didn't didn't make the final cut, but that's what my thinking was: was that women would be able to have conversations together around their good girl myths and how that could support their friendships and support their relationships. That's so important. It's like basically understanding somebody else's love language and being able mm-hmm. to understand them more on on a level of this is my, our interpersonal relationship. This is how we're showing up because of the stories we've told ourselves since we were children. Oh, that's really fascinating. I'm going to do that for sure. <laughs> okay. Cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. This. Okay. Before we end, um, there's a, a quick little uh, half a game that we play called Three Words Only, and okay. I will say a suggestion that someone has sent into us, and we both have to give a piece of advice using only three words. So, okay. an example that I give is um, if somebody said uh, Los Angeles, uh, the piece of advice would be check parking meters or check okay. check parking signs, something like that. Like three mm-hmm. words for every word. Okay, so oh, this is perfect. The first one is motivation. What are three words of advice for motivation? Breathe through resistance. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> okay, three words for motivation. Um, um, uh, I want to say like it runs out. So just, you know, have a, have a thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, three words only for writing. Don't wait forever. Ooh, that's good too. Wow. You're crushing this <laughs> writing. Um, I would say from the heart. Mm. I think you'll get some good stuff from the heart. Okay. Mm. And the last one is two words, is treating yourself. Three words for treating yourself. Design your ritual. Amazing. And if yet, yeah, if everyone is listening to that and doesn't know exactly what that is, get the book, Break the Good Girl Myth. And you will understand more. Um, my my words for treating yourself would be like a friend. Hmm, that's a great one. <laughs> well, this might be the most wholesome episode 
of this entire <laughs> podcast. And I oh, love it. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you for spending the time. I'm so excited to reread this and look up behavior design. I'm, you have started a monster. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Megan. This is delightful. I'm so happy to hear that. Where can people find you on the internet and your book and everything about you? Sure. So the book, you can find it at goodgirlmyth.com. And if you go to that URL, that'll take you to a page on my website. So from there, you can explore all the things of my website. And then on Instagram, you can find me at Maho Molfino. My name, Maho, spelled with a J. So it's spelled M-A-J-O. Amazing. If you listening have a sticky situation or burning concern, call us at 805-751-9071. You give us your age and we will give you the best we can on the day that we record because we are humans. (laughs) See you next week on Just a Tip. Bye. Bye. Perfect. So fun. That was a HeadGum Podcast.